My guest on this episode of Southern Search is Dave Snyder, CEO at CopyPress. Dave is a veteran digital marketer with a wide breadth of knowledge about SEO, social media marketing, and content marketing. Anyone who's been an SEO for any length of time has run into a familiar struggle. Brands need a lot of content created in order to rank in Google or attract backlinks or generally succeed in SEO. The demands for more and more content are real. At the same time, Google has become better and better at evaluating the quality of the content website publishers are making. With factors like EAT increasingly impacting search results, the demands for higher quality content have never been more difficult to navigate. Dave's agency, CopyPress, has become the go-to source for brands looking to scale their content. CopyPress's talented team of writers and editors works with agencies like SearchLab, as well as marketing departments at some of the most iconic companies on the Fortune 500 list. One of the most challenging things about copywriting is that it's an intrinsically human-based activity. There's no automating it. Eventually, a human being has to look at a white piece of paper and start writing. Dave is the perfect guest to break down how to run a large-scale content operation that produces great content. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Dave Snyder. We'll talk about how to hire good copywriters, a topic he calls infobesity, and I had to ask him about the world-famous Burn Steakhouse in his hometown of Tampa, Florida. Dave Snyder, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. Wonderfully. Doing great. Awesome. Well, I, I'm really excited to have you on. We're going to talk a lot about content and how to do it well and how to scale it. And the tension seems to me, I, I really wanted to start out talking to you about scaling a content operation, so doing a lot of it. And the tension seems like, you know, every day, high quality content, the bar just keeps getting higher and it becomes more and more important. Uh, but at the same time, there are these demands to create a lot of content. We need to get it out. We need to get our message out to, uh, to the audience. You know, I wonder how you guys at CopyPress balance, you know, this, uh, this idea of writing for the web in the age of EAT and quality raters and all the technology that goes into, uh, into evaluating quality with your demands to just, you, you do need to actually create a lot of this content. How do you balance those two things? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a, there's a couple of things, right? When we first started this company, it was in the age of, uh, pre Panda, right? So everybody was doing penny award content. And so we started out there as well. And I've always been really transparent about that. Like we were a content mill. Um, and what I saw was like the writing on the wall pre Panda. All right. These days are numbered. So we're going to go towards more of a qualitative metric, um, raise prices, all of that. And that really hurt us like early on because everybody still wanted penny award content. Um, but one of the biggest changes we made was focusing on, um, creating a style guide for clients, right? You, you guys work with a lot of local customers and that. The likelihood that even large customers we work with have a style guide for their content types, super low. Um, so just the creation of a style guide helps dial in the quality, right? Because it allows you to then measure what a successful writer would possibly do on that campaign. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, the other layers we started adding in, direct, direct writer to publishing rarely works specifically at scale so then you're talking about editors yes but also qa people on top of the editors right and so it's building a multi-level system 
where it starts at the very beginning with a style guide and then flows through writing, editing, and QA as well. From the balance perspective, I think it's being like really transparent with your customer, right? Hmm. Of saying, okay, look, your needs are, your desires are here, right? Your needs are probably more here and your budget's here, right? And so it's like playing that game of like, all right, well, we want super high quality, but I want to pay this rate for it. And how can we get it? And so it's like just having those transparent conversations of look, really amazing magazine quality content. You know, those people are getting paid a dollar per word. So like, you know, how do you, how do you bring your hopes and dreams down a little bit? Um, you know, and make sure that you're able, if you're, if you're looking to produce, cause we produce for clients that want a thousand articles in a month, right? Mm -hmm. Like at that scale, how do we find the labor that's needed and, and pay a good rate to writers to keep the quality high? but also have a, an expectation, you know, it's, it's similar. It's just the same as SEO. Like you have that initial talk with your customer who owns a local pizzeria and they're like, Hey, I want to rank for pizza. And you're like, probably not. <laughs> right. Like, like it may be in local maps, maybe in this, but you know, setting expectations and making sure you're on the same page, which I think, you know, all of us that run agencies know, 80% of the guys out there aren't doing that. They're just like, yeah, yeah, no, whatever you want, highest quality content, whatever. It's why we have people that stick around with us though, because we're willing to tell them, mm, you know, we got about, we got to balance this somehow. I love it. And I, I mean, even as we've been talking, this, this is even more true. It's like, there's no way to automate this kind of work. It seems like a very, very human reliant endeavor. So like even, we could go down the road if you want to talk about GPT-3. I'm not, I think we had Eric Angan and there's huge limitations here. But at the end of the day, someone, a person has to create this content at scale. So that, you know, that has me thinking about internal procedures, process documents, um, you know, no small amount of planning. You mentioned yeah. style guides are, are really important to you guys. You know, really scale up a content operation. You know, what do you need from the perspective of planning and strategy at the at the outset before you even write a word? Yeah, I mean, I think you need someone who's really good at building systems, right? And like systems isn't just it's like you have the tech stack layer and you have the human project management layer. Um, luckily for copy press, for whatever reason, that's where my brain kind of excels is figuring out processes. And so, you know, eventually we've built those processes into our own software, but you know, the reality is you can use something like Notion or Monday or Trello, you know, if you have the right system, the tool doesn't, the tools can make things easier for you, right? The system is really what matters. And so it's like architecting that system. What does this look like? And then also not being, this is the history and the story of copy press, not being afraid to try something new and scrap it if it doesn't work, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But constantly iterating to become better. You know, on the, on the note of GPT-3 and all of that, like, you know, my vision is long-term. I think AI will become increasingly better with content production, but there's still, no matter what, because what, and people just don't understand AI and machine learning, right? Somebody has to train that data to do the things it's supposed to do. So these concepts of style guides and writer briefs and QA, fact checking, right? Um, they're still 
and there's still going to be such a human presence in there. Um, AI generated content really just becomes almost a writer's aid of some sort, almost like a grammar checker, right? Where it can help the beginning of the process, but it's going to be humans. And that's where we're looking long-term It's like, all right, how do we combine that stuff into what we do? But with the knowledge that like, you know, I think a lot of these people that think in the next 10 years, copywriting is going to be done completely automated at scale. You know I mean? You're basically taking a step back to the pre-panda days, right? You're going yeah. back to the penny word content. Like we're just, we're running in circles at that point. Cause you're writing, uh, what one of my partners used to call contentless content at that point in time, it's like, <laughs> what's the point and what's the value? Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I wanted to just make sure I picked your brain on, on something you mentioned a couple of times now, which is a good style guide as, as, as being a linchpin of a good campaign. What are the components of a good style guide? What does that mean exactly to a layman who, who doesn't work in copyright? Yeah, I mean, you have a couple of different levels of style guides. Uh, and we have we have trouble sometimes getting customers to, to go the full route with it. You know, um, just like your normal style guide for your brand, you need to have a high level style guide. Like what is our overall tone? Who's our general market, right? Like um, who's our buyer's personas going to that style guide? Um, what you wanna also have is like uh, vernacular or jargon that is something that you wanna have inserted in there. Um, a really important part of a style guide that I think people miss out on is the do not do list, right? Do not reference this. Do not talk about this. We see that a lot in legal, right? But you see it kind of throughout, right? Like how, how don't you want to sound? Um, a really great style guide though has examples, right? Um, and I think that's another thing that people miss, um, you know, a lot of people come to us and just be like, hey, here's information, send us some examples. It's like, you've created some kind of copy in your organization before, put that in here, right? Like what's a really good paragraph you've written that shows your brand voice? Um, what's a really good example of the formatting of the structure? And so formatting comes into play. And then beyond that high level one, you start breaking into different content types, right? Because all your content types are going to be different. Resource articles are going to be different than blog posts in terms of tone and how you approach them. Ebooks and white papers might be different. If you're a huge company, you may have different buyer segments, right? We work with a job board that's got job seekers and people putting jobs out. So like these all need to be fleshed out. You can't just use like a one size fits all piece. And what people don't understand is like, okay, let's say you spend 40 hours constructing a group of style guides. It seems like a huge pull. The quality and the, the ability to scale the writing faster at a quality level increases tremendously because you're not doing three months of iterating, iterating, talking back to the writer, you know? So it's really a time savings. Um, but I would say like m most people have seen a style guide for a website or like a high level. And it's kind of the same thing. Like show me, don't just tell me what you want. You know, I like to get examples of content that competitors have. That's good content that competitors have. That is terrible, right? It all helps paint that picture of where you want to eventually be at. Awesome. Well, I don't. So we could shift gears for a minute to uh, a blog post you wrote on the Copy Press site 
title of it was Tips to Find the Perfect Copywriter. I thought it was very good. Um, one of the takeaways I had from this article was something you called the commoditization of copywriting. So there's a perception. Um, I want to make sure I get it right, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's a perception that a copywriter is a copywriter, that uh, a copywriter straight out of college and a copywriter with a dozen years' experience, not that different. Um, we never treat a developer this way. Yeah. We never actually treat an SEO that, that yeah. way, for, for that matter. So um, where does this perception come from? And maybe what's a better way to look at, at hiring copywriters? Yeah, I mean, I think the perception on the web comes from the days of we're not that far separated from pre-Panda, Penny. I mean, look, we still have companies that you'll see at every conference selling stuff for under two cents a word, right? So it's just still exists. Um, and also I think with the downfall of print media, right? Or the slow death of print media, um, people willing to write for free for stuff like Huffington Post and Medium, right? And a lot of ways writers commoditize themselves without knowing it was gonna happen. And I love seeing tools that are coming along now like um, Substack or Patreon, which are again, like, hey, I'm not gonna just give this away, pay me for my my stuff, you know? But there was like a decade or so there of, you know, writers losing their jobs at newspapers and magazines, writers writing for free on new online publications, and then companies offering like just the rollout contentless content at scale. Um, so I think it led that all of those things led to the commoditization of copywriting. Um, and so, you know, we find ourselves at copy press in a very difficult situation sometimes because we want to, I want to pay writers whatever they feel they're worth, right? That's my general feeling with any employee is if, if whatever you're worth and what I think you're worth is on the same page, that's what I want to pay you. Um, but customers don't have that viewpoint, right? So every single customer I talk to, Hey, how much can we discount this? Um, you know what I mean? Like, and for us, we just cut into our margin cause I'm not going to pay my writers lower than what we've already said we're going to pay. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think we're rounding this corner now with content creators. Maybe some of it has to do with the influencer market that's also popped up around things, but also Patreon, Substack, right? People are becoming more comfortable with, right. you've got to pay for quality. But there is no difference between a really great copywriter and a really great developer. But for some, and we know the downfall, right? If you have a, if you have really bad copywriters, they're going to cost, and I try to do this all the time. Like I've got a bunch of calculations I run through people when they're like, hey, why do you charge what you do per word? And it's like, all right, let's break it down. You know what I mean? If you hire three really bad copywriters, you'll spend the next three months doing X, Y, Z work, hours, whatever. Um, you know, you get what you pay for at the end of the day, you know? So, um, you know, McDonald's versus, you know, a really good hamburger joint. Like it's just, there's, they're different things. And people think that there's a difference. they're the same because it's just copy, right? just copy. Um, but I, I do, I do think that, I mean, we've seen it because people are willing to pay what well, our rates and our revenue has grown for the last four years. So we, we've seen this tide turning slowly. Right. Um, and, uh, I think 
you know, a lot of it has to do with other things you brought up, like people needing, realizing that quality is the core now, um, quality over quantity, but quantity is still important as well in some cases. So. I get it. I get it. Well, the other thing that I want to talk about uh, from that same article is that this seems like a, a problem you must run into a lot. You'll have writers who are really good for writing for one industry. So like maybe they're excellent at writing about manufacturing, but then the challenge is they have a project for hosp the hospitality industry. Like you said earlier, the industry jargon is so different between manufacturing and hospitality. The tone yeah. and voice are different. Um, yeah, you mentioned that style guides and the client could be a big help in this, but what advice do you have for the writer um, to get out of their comfort zone and maybe as the advice don't do Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, similar to my philosophy on a lot of things is just know when you're a good fit for something and when you're not a good fit for something. The example I always give is uh, another agency in the space contracted us to do a machine learning ebook. We took it on. <laughs> And uh, we thought we had a writer for it, and the first feedback was terrible. I ended up having to write the whole ebook myself. And so it's like, you know, sometimes the best choice is just not to take a project if it's not a good fit. But as a working copywriter, you kind of have to expand yourself, right? Unless you're going to be really, I, I do give a lot of advice to writers to become very, um, focused on a niche and work your way into it become an expert but as a working copywriter that might not always be the case so if you get a gig in a space immerse yourself in that space right um the job of a good writer is to read as much as to write you know um and if you spend just a ton of time reading i mean think about the seo space if you read every single blog every day you'd have the jargon and the stuff down in 30 days right it's not at the end of the day seo isn't that complicated where at least on a high level you couldn't be writing about it um so i think that's the key is just immersing yourself in it and then on the other side too like if it, there's just some topics that you shouldn't be writing uh, i think one thing a tip as well for writers is um find somebody that you do know in that space and do some interview type questions with them as well you know what i mean i think so often people are too afraid to just be like all right, I have this piece on X, Y, Z. Let me find somebody whose brain I can pick on it, right? Traditional way of writing media, doing an interview because you're not an expert. And so you need an expert to kind of fill it out. No, I get it. All right, well, well very good. I, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, one last thing from this article, which is about, the article is mostly about advice for hiring a copywriter. So this is advice for people who would be hiring them and. Um, things are like interview questions and how to train new hires. There's all these recommendations and we'll be sure to link to this in the show notes. But I wonder if you, if you've noticed like what mistakes are people making? What are the common mistakes that people make when they're hiring? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think one, we, we already talked about it. They're going for what's the cheapest option, right? Um, I think, uh, right. step two is the testing. And I think we probably piss writers off sometimes with the testing. We always pay writers for our tests. Let me be clear there. So like, I will never make somebody do work that I don't pay them for. But in like, I have 50 internal copywriters right now at CopyPress. That are, those are like, I mean, we don't have a, we have an office, nobody's there. <laughs> and, uh, but like, 
on top of our external rider base, which is a couple thousand, we have 50 people that are paid on our payroll with benefits, right? And to hire those people, they had to pass a test to get in the door to then begin training for the next step. Um, and if you think about it, like I've taken on that approach now with developers too, right? Like, are you just going to take a resume and an interview and hire somebody for this really technical position? The same, same thing goes for copywriting, right? Like, oh, you worked here and there. What does that even mean? Um, let me see what you have and if it's a fit. So I think paying for testing is probably the best thing you can do when hiring a copywriter because uh, it's going to give you a really good idea of what you're starting out with. The reason I do a test rather than samples, by the way, is because I can just turn anybody's work in as a sample. So, yeah, that's really good advice. Well, one other blog post, I, I, I know you've been really generous with your time, so I'm going to try and be quick, but it's a big topic. So the other blog post was the cognitive science behind complex content retention. And so this is a really good post. It's about, you know, I would say it starts with this term that you use I'd never heard before, which is infobesity, the idea that we're exposed to more content than ever, that we've sort of like broken any scale that we ever thought of. Um, so it's much harder to make content to stand out. And there's this this talk about virality. You you are specific about talking about uh, infographics in this in this article. But you had several ideas for how to make your content more digestible. I think is, is the way that I would phrase it. And, and hopefully I've, I've, I've done the, the article justice. How do you do that? How do you, how do you, what, what advice do you have for making content more digestible and breaking through this infobesity layer that exists? Yeah. You're finding some media. older articles that I, <laughs> that I wrote. So this is good. Keeping me on my toes. Um, yeah. And so I think also all of that's gotten even worse since I wrote that piece, right? Like uh, we're, we're in the age of TikTok where, like, I mean, we just don't have any time to digest things. Um, and Google's gone this way too, right? It's like with, with rich snippets and everything that they're doing, they're figuring out ways to, you know, how do I, how do I get these people with short attention spans, the information they need as fast as possible. And so with that, I think Google's Google from a search perspective. So this first part I'll say is informational, right? Like when you have informational content, you want to get to people thinking about how Google does get it done. Like, and it's the old um, inverted pyramid from journalism days, right? Like, you know, um, start with your biggest point from the top and then lead your reader down into more details. Um, so that way you hook them really quick and bring them in. But I think, you know, what I've been doing a lot of for the last few years is when you create content, create it in a way where you can use it in multiple ways, right? So create an ebook that you can slice into an infographic that you can slice into a couple of newsletters that you can slice into a couple of blog posts, right? And so now um, you've got a, a bunch of different assets that you can, you're trying to get a couple base hits rather than hitting a grand slam every time off the content, right. you know? Um, and also people all digest content in really different ways today. And I think that's becoming more and more true. Uh, and so that gives you the opportunity to spread across that audience a lot better. You know, 10 years ago, everybody had to have a blog, 
now, like we don't even keep up with our blog that often. Um, and we go more for resource articles and newsletters and you see, right? Those trends will always change. So how do you divert your content across more? So I think like using that whole Buffalo strategy of like, how do you rework this content to, to get at, in front of as many people? Um, then, then there's the, the social side, right? Like if, if you have a brand where you really want to get people to, to notice what you're doing, I don't know if I write about it in that piece, but we talk, I've talked a lot about Plutchik's wheel of emotion and getting the more emotion you can get from somebody negative or positive, the more likely they're to interact with your content. That's a reality, right? It's why Trump was all over network news on both sides for five years. Why? Because right. on one side, they loved them. On the other side, they hate him. But no matter what, everybody wanted to interact. You know, that's why he had the biggest Twitter account. Like, yeah. emotion drives stuff. Now, as a brand, you got to be super careful with that, right? Um, but it's like that old analogy they have for Super Bowl ads. You either want to be the best Super Bowl ad or the worst Super Bowl ad, because those are the two that are going to get talked about, Right. you know? Um, and so when you're creating content that's more socially driven, you know, if you're not if you're not thinking about how close you can get to that emotional piece, because it's not just hate and love. There's also things like adoration, you know, like App Apple is a great example of that. People just love that brand. How do you play off of that love? Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you get people to also stick. So I think on the informational side, it comes down to a lot of, you know, how am I structuring this content? Um, and how am I repurposing it in multiple ways? And on the more social side, it's how emotion, what emotions can I drive from this? You know, and unfortunately, most people get stuck in the either love, hate or the funny thing, right? Like, hey, let's just be really funny. But, you know, interest is a strong emotion. So. Awesome. Yeah, sorry, Say man. They're going to start going crazy here in a second, probably. <laughs> Mine's, mine's right here so we've we've it's, we've had that problem a few times so yeah keep her close by so um well listen i i want to get to uh to everyone's favorite part of the show now this is where greg gifford gives me a question for the guest and i have no context for this question so i don't know anything and you don't know anything and uh for you he said to ask one word yeah burns yeah it's a stick that house that greg really loves uh that <laughs> That looks like a French brothel when you first walk in um, and kind of like, where am I? Because it's in Tampa. Um, but they have the largest one or at least one of the largest wine collections in the world. I think a huge scotch collection, too. I'm not a drinker. So um, but it, it's a dining experience that takes several hours. <laughs> and I think we'll all be going there wow. pretty soon. So. So, so, That's right. so, That's right. I'll be so you'll get to experience it. Um, yeah, it's like a, a marathon eating experience. Delicious steaks, though. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I would say you, you, you hit it. We at Searchlab use CopyPress. It's been a great partnership from my end of the table, and I hope yeah, it has yeah. been for you, Dave. Um, you know, how do people reach you if they they want to get in touch with you or yeah. with copy press? Um, what's, what's your favorite social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Dave Snyder. Um, I don't tweet a lot of business stuff on there. Uh, I don't take myself very seriously. So uh, you can also reach out to me at dsnyder at copypress.com. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we love working with Search Lab. You guys are a a rare client who was liked right away because uh, you kind of got what we were doing, and it, and it was just like uh, synchronicity there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I always like talking content, even if a project's not a good fit for us. I usually steer somebody in the right direction. Um, so, you know, if there's stuff that somebody wants to know that we talked about or looking to do a content campaign. I'd love to talk to him. All right. Well, nice. Until, until we meet again at Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, I, I'm going to sign off for now. Dave, thanks for coming on. I'll give you yeah, a I'll virtual cheers. We and we'll see you next week for another episode of Southern Search. Yeah.